Okay, friends, Andy Jenkins, I'm back. This is episode number six of the Warrior Hope podcast in season number three. Today, I want to talk about the idea, and I think this is going to take me two weeks, is do I or does someone I know, someone I love, have PTSD and help you see how to decide that, determine that as well. Uh, Here's what I want to do. I want to open up the disentangled book. Now, this definition is the American Psychiatric Association definition, so it is the official definition. Uh, It's in this book. We also have it referenced in the Warrior Hope book, Um, but I'm not opening that book because I've got it opened here on my desk to a different page because I'm going to refer you to something else that's in that book. So we do have it in both resources. Both resources are in the show notes down below. If either one of these will help you, uh, we'd love to ship them to you. Post-traumatic stress. Uh, A psychiatric disorder that can occur. So again, doesn't always occur. We've referred to that a couple times. Uh, In people who have experienced or witnessed. So it could be a firsthand encounter that you had, or it could be something you saw. Uh, a lot of times it happens with people that saw, such as you go, well, how would that occur? Well, think about first responders or think about uh, medics or people that are serving people who are traumatized. Um, now, again, it doesn't have to be just those people. It could be other people as well. But uh, again, experience or witness a traumatic event such as a natural disaster, a serious accident, a terrorist act, war, combat, rape, or other violent personal Assault. So we've said yeah, the definition of what can cause it is so broad. Um, there are multiple factors there. And uh, I, I want to play a clip here of Shannon Paulson. Now, she is a clinical social worker um, that is featured in our documentaries. We've referenced her uh, earlier in the season uh, when we were talking about PTSD. Uh, I want to feature her here as well. Now, notice what she says about post-traumatic stress. Um, this is a very short clip here. Shannon Paulson. Post-traumatic stress disorder, it became part of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders in 1980. And that kind of put PTSD in the field of traumatology on the map. It was the first time it was ever acknowledged and published you know, in a format that led credibility up to the field. One of the distinctions I would bring up right here uh, before we go farther is um, the idea of a diagnosis or not a diagnosis. Okay, so you can be affected even if you are not diagnosed. And and I get it uh, right now, a lot of people, in fact, we write this in the beginning of this book. I'll see if I can even find the chapter where we say it. Um, When we co-wrote this book, Bob is the founder and executive director of Crosswinds. And uh, I got to help him write this book uh, as I joined his organization. Uh, He he wrote this part and he said something about, you know, post-traumatic stress and post-traumatic stress disorder. Those are the terms. And, you know, I I remember we walked through that discussion as we're walking through the book. I'm I'm looking for uh, the place where we we wrote this. And we're trying to debate, you know, what what are we going to say about this? Is it going to be post-traumatic stress or are we going to refer to it as post-traumatic stress disorder. And one of the things that we really came down to is saying, hey, um, this is absolutely an important conversation. Okay, it is a vital conversation to have. However, um, 
what we did is we said, let's see, trying to find it right here. There is growing debate among some military members and mental health professionals uh, about the word disorder. So should it be post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress syndrome? I think you might remember a couple years ago, uh, one of the guys that was running for president um, had served as a veteran and he kept saying he had PTS, but he didn't want to say disorder. And he might not have been diagnosed. Um, now, people say maybe we shouldn't use the word disorder as they believe it carries a stigma that may hinder treatment. Uh, generally, those opposing the use of disorder, I'm reading from page 32 in our book. Um, generally, those who oppose using the word disorder prefer substituting the word injury. So post-traumatic stress injury or leaving it off completely, just saying post-traumatic stress. Uh, this is certainly an important discussion, but as PTSD is still the term used for diagnosis purposes in the current DSM, the DSM is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Uh, right now they're on version 5. Um, since they use that, that's what we use in this book here. Okay, just, just so that's clear. So when I'm talking... I'm going to say PTSD, but understand I'm not trying to diagnose, treat, or prescribe anybody. Uh, we're just going to point to um, the condition, post-traumatic stress, has stuff affected me, okay? So here's the reality. I'm going to give you 10 questions today uh, and next episode, 10 questions. And in those, um, this is from the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. In order to get a diagnosis, you have to meet all 10 of these. So it's really eight questions. And then number nine is kind of these additional two specifications. So I'm going to walk you through all of these. Um, I'm going to do five in this episode, five in the next episode. And, and I'm going to explain them. To get a diagnosis, you have to score 10 out of 10, basically. So that's like 100. Now, now let's think about it logically. Our goal is not to get a diagnosis. Our goal is to walk in health and healing. Now, if getting a diagnosis is the path for that, so that you can get the right tools and the right resources and um, the right things that you need to walk in health and healing, then, then get a diagnosis. Um, but for most people, that's not the path forward. For most people, you know, it's going to be not to have a diagnosis. It's going to be aware of the past pains that have affected us and then be able to process those and to walk forward in health and healing. Um, so that's really kind of the, the point of this. You think about it, uh, if you had, you know, your lungs, you had 80% capacity in your lungs, you wouldn't say, well, I can do without the other 20%. Um, if, if you scored an eight out of 10 on this, you wouldn't go, well, okay, I, you know, that, that's, that's okay. No, you'd say, let's, let's get all the areas healthy. Let's find healing, uh, across the board. So that's really what we're looking at here. Okay, so let's let's walk through it. Here's question number one. I'm reading this from page 57 and 58 of the Warrior Hope Manual. So that's the blue book, okay? Page 57 and 58 of the Warrior Hope Manual. Question one, we're doing five questions today. Criteria one, and I'm gonna show you some clips along the way. The person was exposed to death threatened death, or had actual or threatened serious injury, or actual or threatened sexual violence, 
in the following ways. So it could be any of this. Direct exposure, witnessing it. Remember, that's in the definition. Uh, learning that a relative or a close friend was exposed to trauma. So sometimes people say, well, this happened to my kid. Or uh, as we get to the end of this season, we're going to talk about some families who lost some loved ones. They might have experienced PTSD. Now, they're stateside. They're home safe. They lost a loved one. Well, that, that might fall in the criteria right there. Learning that a relative or a close friend was exposed to trauma or, or died. Uh, or indirect exposure to averse details of the trauma. Usually in the course of professional duties, such as you're a medical supervisor, first responder, something of that nature. So again, criteria one, you got to be exposed to something. Um, now, let, let me show you, this is Dr. John McCarty, a Vietnam veteran. Let me, let me play what he says here, because he, he was exposed. I went off to war and it left a scar on me that I don't understand. And I need help to work through this. Because where I woke up one morning and my primary responsibility was to kill and destroy. Now, that's not what I'm supposed to do. Now I'm supposed to protect and nurture and it's a whole entirely different ball game. But yet society expects us to go in war, kill, kill, destroy, come back home, change clothes, Hey, it's like it never happened. No, it happened. And it's still happening internally. Okay, that's criteria number one. Now, you don't have to be exposed in the way he was exposed. It, it could all be different. Uh, but I just wanted to show you one man's story. Here's criteria number two is the traumatic event is persistently, now catch this, re-experienced. So not only did it just happen in real time, but it keeps coming back through unwanted, upsetting memories to keep thinking about it. You can't move through it. It keeps coming back. Nightmares is another option. Flashbacks, emotional distress after the exposure to traumatic reminders. Or number five, physical reactivity after exposure to traumatic reminders. So you say, what would some of those traumatic reminders be? Well, it might be um, you know, the fireworks thing, but then you feel like you're under fire. It might be thunder, but you feel like you're under mortar fire. It might it might be uh, of reference uh, my friend Father Ed before, who when he hears certain alarms, uh, it, it kind of takes him back to that place where he was um, in Vietnam. And when certain alarms would go off, he knew the helicopters were coming in. That he'd get up to get the wounded and get the casualties and then clean out the helicopters, which many times had had a lot of blood in them. So um, that's that physical reactivity right there. Now, again, it doesn't have to be physical reactivity. It could be unwanted, upsetting memories. In fact, let me play a memory here for you. This is Booker Washington III, who is a Marine sniper. Uh, here's part of his story. I killed an NVA lieutenant four, five o'clock in the morning when they hit us on 461. I made the mistake later after we had pushed them back, they broken off of searching him, and I took his belt, and I took his SK, and uh, I opened his wallet, and and there he was, probably someplace in North Vietnam, him and his wife and his kid. 
the wrong thing to do. Because he became a human. Not a target. Not, not some evil force. You know, moving along the ridge line of shadow. but he became a human being. Now, our third criteria is this. Uh, one of these is required. In fact, for all of these, it's just one required. So this is just giving you examples of what could be happening, is the avoidance of trauma-related stimuli after the trauma occurs in the following way. So it could be you're avoiding trauma-related thoughts or feelings, so you're kind of pushing them away, or it could be you're getting rid of trauma-related reminders. Can't go to the same place. Can't be around the same people. Can't react to that. You just don't want to deal with it. Now, I've played for you uh, clips that Chris Turner, uh, a friend of mine who's a Marine, who's involved with uh, the Crosswinds movement here. I've played some stuff from him before. Let me let me share with you what he says. And notice, it's, it's pretty subtle here, uh, but he, he didn't want to address it. And so finally... He says, yeah, I finally dealt with what I was dealing with and now realize, okay, I, I can move forward and help other people. Notice it's very subtle. I finally started dealing with it and then I moved to Nashville and then I met you guys and now I see what you guys are doing for it. And since I had to compartmentalize it for so long and I had no idea how to get help, I feel honored and blessed to where now I can be a, I can be a tool in this bigger problem that we have and I can be one asset, one resource to try to tell Marines or uh, soldiers or airmen or coasties or, or even Navy, uh, Navy seamen, whatever. Hey, you know what? You don't have to do this. We're veterans ourselves. We can help you. Just don't be so prideful to where you, where you can't. Okay. So here we go to criteria number four. Now, two of these are required and I'm, I'm going to read this all to you and then I'm going to play you another clip here. Uh, two required, negative thoughts or feelings that began or worsened after the trauma. So it just keeps amplifying, bolstering up in your mind. Um, negative thoughts, negative feelings, that, that's kind of the big idea right there, in the following ways. And two, two of these are required. It's the inability to recall key features of the trauma. So people say, well, what happened? This clearly happened. You're like, I don't know. You blacked out. Or I don't know. I suppressed it. Um Overly negative thoughts and assumptions about yourself or the world. Exaggerated blame of self or others for causing the trauma. So, you, you, like, it's all their fault, you know, or it's all my fault. Usually, um, in most situations, it's, it's, it's neither. It's, it's kind of this mix of both. Uh, negative effect is right there. So you got to have two of those. Uh, next page. So keep on going. Decreased interest in activities. So just kind of numb and check out. Stay in the bed. Stay on the couch. Won't get out of the house. But now, if you were before a homebody, you, you know, and that's not a change for you, it would have to be a, a change, a substantial kind of mood personality change. Uh, feeling isolated, feeling like you're all alone. Uh, difficulty expressing positive effects. You're you're always always negative. Now I want to play this for you. This is Eugene Cuevas, who was a filmographer, director for Invisible Scars, Honoring the Code, um, shot, put together a lot of the film here for the upcoming documentary, Trauma Comes Home. He does a great job of highlighting four different symptoms of PTSD. Um, let me tell you kind of what some of these are. Um, 
he talks about uh, avoidance symptoms, uh, about uh, negative feelings is the third. He talks about hyper arousal. Uh, so you're always on. So, so, so listen to that second and, and third. And because again, Chris experienced that avoidance. It, again, some of these are starting to layer together of what we've been talking about in this episode. So, so listen here to what he says. Four main categories of symptoms. Okay, the re-experiencing symptoms, nightmares or flashbacks, where they feel like they're back in that traumatic situation. Certain sights or sounds may trigger these memories of that danger or stress. They're the avoidance symptoms. This is where someone will do whatever they can to avoid anything that reminds them of that trauma. They may want to avoid riding in a car, watching certain movies, or being around certain people. They don't want to talk about or even think about anything that brings up those hurtful memories. Then the negative feelings. This is where someone may be extremely depressed. They may have angry outbursts or just not be able to control their emotions. They may be fearful of others or unable to trust other people. And then the fourth category, the symptoms of hyperarousal. This is where someone just can't relax. They can't concentrate. Everyday sounds will cause them great anxiety and sleep becomes overly difficult. Again, what I would say is if you're starting to put this together, he listed four there, that re-experiencing, that was the first one he said, you know, that might be might be uh, Booker Washington's story where he continues recalling in his mind, looking at that wallet and seeing that picture and like that becomes this big deal. Uh, avoidance, that might be Chris had. I didn't want to deal with my stuff just wouldn't deal with it. Finally, you know, negative feelings that that might be just seeing the whole world through a different view. Uh, finally, the fifth one I want to discuss in this episode is criteria number five. There's two of these required. Uh, trauma-related arousal and reactivity that began or worsened after the trauma. So it, it kind of keeps cranking up, okay, um, in the following ways. Now, now listen to this. At least two of these are required irritability or aggression, risky or destructive behavior, hypervigilance, heightened startle reaction, difficulty concentrating or difficulty sleeping. So there were six. Those are all signs two would be required to check off this box. And again, you got to check off 10 of these in order to actually get a formal diagnosis. Um, now let me play this clip for you about signs. Now this comes from one of our lessons in the Warrior Hope manual. So that this actually comes from lesson three in this book that I'm teaching you from today. Uh, this is me talking, but I'm going to talk about the signs and how signs that we see aren't about the signs themselves. So a lot of times if we have this difficulty concentrating or hypervigilant, like it's not about that. Like that's pointing us to something else that we need to deal with. Uh, it's, it's like if a check engine light goes off in your car, well, it's not about the light bulb. The light bulb is alerting us to a deeper, bigger issue inside the engine. So when this stuff happens uh, with us, so you're irritable, you're aggressive. I don't mean you had a bad day. I mean like you're always irritable or aggressive. Uh, you, you get into this risky or destructive behavior. I had a friend who's a veteran, came back, he's driving motorcycles just 90 miles per hour, almost hoping to die. That, that's a whole different thing for him, hypervigilance, uh, heightened startle reaction, difficulty concentrating, can't sleep. Those signs, okay, when protracted are pointing us to something different. Here's 
here's what the signs mean. No, notice this. Think about this sign right here that says uh, danger mines. Uh, th this one's actually quite common in many places around the world. In fact, there's a lot of humanitarian causes that are dealing specifically with this sign. Now, if you were in a field and you came upon this sign, and it's just like you see in the picture right there, you know, on a post with barbed wire and the sign says danger mines, you've really got three choices when you face that sign. First choice is this. You can ignore the sign, you can proceed and you can hope for the best. Uh, choice number two is you could accept that sign as truth and, and then you could just walk through that field with caution. Uh, choice number three was you, you could just stop and you could go around the field, you could take another route. And so when I'm teaching this in a group, I always say, hey, what would you do? And people inevitably have different answers based on these three. Uh, nobody says they would ignore the sign. Everybody acknowledges that that one is like, we, we wouldn't do that. We would scratch that one off because we wouldn't just kind of barrel through. But people disagree about number two. They say, well, I might go through the field depending on what was in the field. Like if there was family that was in the field or if there was someone I was trying to rescue or save or something I needed to get to that was super important, I, I might go through the field instead of going around the field. But everybody agrees that they would accept that sign in some sense as true, that it pointed to a bigger reality beyond the sign, that that sign was saying, hey, there is all kinds of danger all throughout this field, and then we would navigate however we chose to navigate. But again, we would all agree that that sign is not about the sign itself. The sign is a pointing to a different reality. Now, let's just kind of put that on the screen here, okay, because we're about to make a leap and talk about this is how it relates to you and me and what's going on inside the soul, okay? You don't make the sign the focus of your attention. Any of the signs that you see, we know that these signs aren't about the sign themselves. The sign are always pointing to something greater. And I would say this, physical symptoms, they call our attention to look closer. So uh, if you woke up this morning and you rolled over in the sheet and just kind of where your arm was, you saw some blood, you know, you'd, you'd kind of go, oh, what, what happened? Um, that sign would call you to look closer. If, if you got up and you felt uh, a little faint, a physical symptom, you felt a little dizzy, well, you'd probably sit down like that sign would call you to look and go deeper. Uh, one time my daughter Miriam, she was on a zip line in her backyard and she, she fell and instantly she starts crying. I dusted her off and we went upstairs. I let her take a bath. And after about an hour of just kind of soaking in the bath, she said that her arm was not feeling right. So I gave her some Advil to really knock out the swelling, but I took her to the emergency room to get it x-rayed and found out she had just a slight fracture. That sign that was going on, the, the, the pain that was in the arm, that alerted me to something deeper that without that sign, I would not have known about. In all cases, physical symptoms, we don't make it about the symptom itself. We don't make the, the, the pain in the arm just the pain. We, we look deeper. We don't make the blood just about, oh, there's blood. Like we, we look deeper. We don't make the dizziness just about, oh, just it. Like we actually look deeper to see what's going on. Well, in the same way, these emotional and these mental signs, these symptoms, they do the exact same thing. They're letting us know that there's something going on in the soul that we need to navigate, something going on in the soul that we need to address. Okay, so notice with all of that, let's put it all together. I've gone through five different 
uh, ideas here, five different questions, okay? So you've gotta be exposed, that was criteria number one, to something traumatic, putting it in my language. Number two, uh, the traumatic event that you were exposed to is persistently re-experienced in multiple ways. Number three, you, you tend to avoid the trauma and kind of put it out. Number four, uh, negative thoughts or feelings. Uh, there were different ways that ex that expresses itself, so there's some detail. Number five, um, arousal and reactivity begins. So all these signs pop up after that. So it's just, just kind of this heightened, and the reality is, again, most of us aren't gonna be diagnosable, but that doesn't mean we wouldn't benefit from some emotional help, okay? Because a chain, as we said before, is only as strong as this weakest link. Now, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let you deal with these, and we're gonna put them down in the show notes to where you can just look at those, you can read them all. I know there's a lot of just kind of information I threw at you today, uh, and then I'll be back in the next episode, and we're gonna go through six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And this is gonna help you highlight, hey, would I benefit from some help in this area? If you do need some help, I would put some tools down in the show notes for you as well. There's some books, there's some resources, there's some films, and we're always help, uh, happy to take the conversation with you farther and then point you in the right direction, okay? We're not here to diagnose, treat, or prescribe. We are here to have the conversation and help point you in the right direction. All right, I'm Andy Jenkins with the Warrior Hope Podcast brought to you by Crosswinds Foundation for Faith and Culture. I will see you in the next episode.